Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. I'd like to start out by reminding you that there is a website called wealthformula.com that comes with this podcast that has all sorts of resources on there. Uh, there is also a new course. And that course is not an ordinary course. It is a course with some of the uh, people who shape my own views on money. Like, for example, Tom Wheelwright, Kevin Day, The Real Estate Guys, Dean Graziosi, just to name a few. And all those guys put together this phenomenal course with me in a studio in Phoenix, and it's called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. You can check that course out at wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, I should point out that it's not just a course. This comes along with membership in the Wealth Formula Network, which is the forum, the official forum of Wealth Formula Podcast and the Wealth Formula brand. In addition to that, we have these bi-weekly mastermind calls. You know, the mastermind calls, like the Napoleon Hill-type mastermind calls where people have collective uh, intelligence and, anyway... These uh, calls have been phenomenal. They've probably been the highlight for everybody, even though the course is fantastic and there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But we're putting a lot of um, you know effort into these calls. And if you would like to be part of the Wealth Formula Mastermind community, make sure you go to wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, I uh, have been thinking uh, lately a lot about something um, which you may have heard of. It's uh, it's this thing called the law of attraction. You may have heard of it. You may not have. You probably have in some shape or form. But, you know, remember a few years back, there was this movie and then there was this book and they came out. It was called The Secret, right? And it came out and made a uh, big splash. And it was really about this whole concept of the law of attraction, which, of course, is nothing new. Actually, uh, it was sort of a ripoff, the whole secret thing of one of my favorite books of all time, which is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And Napoleon Hill, in that book, refers to the same secret. The only difference is that this book was written about 80 years earlier and is much better. Now, the concept is simple if you haven't heard of it. Uh, and it seems very basic and self-helpish. It's simple. It's just that your thoughts become reality. Okay, so 
you might be a skeptic and you might be thinking, okay, whatever, dude. Thoughts become reality. When did you become, you know, Dr. Phil or something? I just wish I was Dr. Phil. I heard he made like $300 million per year off his show or something. And I can, I can act like a buffoon for that kind of money. Anyway, but, you know, think about it. You know, that concept of your thoughts becoming reality. Uh, what is part of your reality today? that did not at least start out as a as a thought, right? Your job, maybe you're a physician. Well, you thought about it. You had this image of being a physician. Your kids, I know I always imagined having kids. I didn't necessarily think I'd have three little girls, but I love it anyway. I thought I'd have at least one boy who'd want to watch football with me. Um, how about your house? You know, you had an image of what kind of house you wanted, uh, you know, or what kind of wife or husband you wanted, or at least that you wanted a husband or wife. You thought about those things before they became reality. You thought about all these things at some point before they became your reality. And in that sense, this is not some kind of self-help. Of course your thoughts become your reality, you know? But it's deeper than that, and it's funny because my wife, my wife, Olivia, by the way, we just had our 10-year anniversary last week, and uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's crazy how time flies, um, and um, I like her more now than I did even then, which is a good sign, I think, but uh, it's a funny thing because my wife says that when we first met, and this is back in San Francisco when I was a, a, you know, a fifth-year resident, maybe a fifth-year resident or something like that, and had a neck surgery, and I was making about $45,000 a year in San Francisco, uh, which if you know, even back in 2008, 2009, that was, um, you know, that was barely enough to live on. Uh, as an aside, I heard recently that if you make less than $150,000 per year in the city of San Francisco, you are now considered low income. So um, anyway, so I was making a hundred, I was making less than fifty thousand dollars per year in San Francisco, but even so, if I was out to dinner uh, with her or another friend, and back in those days she was making more money than I was, I always made sure to take care of the bill. I was always a good tipper, and I always knew that for some reason I always knew that I'd make money someday. I knew I was a guy who was going to make money. Right. I, I didn't I never thought I would be poor. Of course, you might be thinking to yourself, of course, well, you were a surgical resident at the time. So, you know, you might argue that making good money someday wasn't that much of a leap of faith. But I'll tell you that it was, in fact, a little bit different for me and that it was um, that it was different than it is with most people that I know or a lot of people I know, you know. I have uh, one of the, the things that I have been born with, and there's not many things I've been born with in the sense that, you know, I'm not a natural talent. You know, I'm I'm like a guy who's worked hard and has willed things to happen, just like Napoleon Hill has, has uh, talks about in his book. But I have this built-in abundance mindset. The idea for me that money and resources are limited really just doesn't instinctually resonate with me. And that is a tremendous advantage, you know. You know, I hate it when people talk about living within or below their means. And 
Why? Because to me, that just defines a low threshold of means in the first place. And believe me, I am by no means a spendthrift, right? Um, Despite joking about it on the show, about how cheap I am, I'm not that cheap, especially when it comes to expanding my means. You see, last year alone, if you know, I call myself cheap because I'm driving a Toyota Prius that I bought um, in residency, but... I spent $100,000 on financial education and masterminds last year alone. Some might call that excessive, but I don't think so. This year alone, uh, from those masterminds that I've been in, I can tell you that I'll I'll, I'll be able to attribute about a million dollars of income from that $100,000 in masterminds. Um. So that's that's a pretty good return, right? Would you wouldn't you take a hundred thousand dollars? Wouldn't you you know drop that down if you could get a you know a ten x or a thousand percent gain next year? Well, I mean that's what I did, right? So I I wasn't out there being excessive and spending and being a spendthrift, nor was I being cheap. Meanwhile, I have this course I just mentioned earlier, right? I have this course. Uh, it's a hundred ninety seven dollars per month, and you get this course. And you get this, uh, you know, this network, Wealth Formula Network. You get these mastermind calls. And some of you, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's too expensive. I know, it's just a waste. I, you know, I listen to this podcast, right? I mean, why do I need to do that? What am I going to say to that? What am I going to say to that? My $197 per month course, network, and mastermind are better than most $25,000 per year masterminds that I've joined. And if you think that's too much money to take it to the next level, then you won't. And I say that not because I'm, you know, I'm saying you have to buy my course or be part of my mastermind calls to be successful. That's not my point. I'm just using that as an example. I'm saying it because you, if you think those kinds of things are expensive and that they're a waste you are not viewing the world through the lens of abundance you see expense where i see investment and that's why chances are i may be making more money than you right now not all of you i know some of you make more money than me but there's a big difference right there's a big difference between people who are wealthy and those who are not words matter Mindset matters, and I am living proof that getting yourself in an abundance mindset is paramount if you're ever, ever, ever going to be wealthy. And I'm not saying that just because you talk or think differently now you're going to be wealthy tomorrow, but you will be eventually if you believe it, if you see it. So when you listen to Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman, just remember, remember, folks, they are talking to poor people and Those people that they're talking to are going to stay poor because that those shows are about scarcity. Do you think Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman really live in a world of limited resources? Of course not. They're entertainers, right? They make a lot of money pretending to think like the poor and middle class. But guess what? With their own money, They invest like the wealthy, and that has been well, well documented. Just Google it. Look it up. See what they're investing in. See if they're trying to pay off all their debt, all that good debt. You know, when I speak on this podcast, I'm not Susie Orman. I'm not Dave Ramsey. When I speak on this podcast, I am speaking to a wealthy person 
you're a wealthy person. I don't care what how much money you're making right now, but I'm talking about your mindset. A wealthy person's mindset, right? That's who you are. You're my avatar. And if you listen to me and my words resonate with you, you likely live in a similar world than me, a world of abundance. Check yourself, check your words, check your thought patterns and your behavior. Do you live in a world of fear and scarce resources? Are you worried that you're going to run out of money before you die? Are you afraid that if you invest your money, then you'll lose it? Well, if you don't invest it, you're guaranteed to lose it because inflation will erode it. Or do you believe that you're going to grow, grow? You're going to think and grow rich. You're going to grow into someone healthier, happier, more wealthy than you are today. A 15-year-old high school dropout once said, if you, can, if you think you can do a thing or think you can't do a thing, you're right. That, of course, was Henry Ford. And those words are the words of a wealthy man. But remember, the thoughts and the words come before the result. They come before the wealth. It always has to be in that order. You can change your thoughts and words consciously, and I urge you to do so if you want a better life. You know, a holistically wealthy life. Now, on to today's show. Speaking of a better life, my guest today on Wealth Formula Podcast, well, he certainly has some different views than me on money, etc., but he also believes he has found what he calls the freedom formula. And so when we come back, we will get his perspective on life and finances. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is David Dennison. Uh, he's author. He's an author. He's a tax consultant and a financial consultant, and he's also the host of Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, and uh, which basically teaches physicians how they can engage in a healthy and prosperous mindset. So, Dave, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Hey, Buck. So glad to be here. It's uh, it's always fun. You know, you, you listen to someone on on their podcast, then you actually get to speak to them live. There's oh, wow. nothing like it. It's pretty cool. That's good. I didn't know you you listened, but that's uh, that's kind of you to say. 
so I have to admit, I you know, given the name of your podcast, when I initially uh, contacted you and uh, we we were just talking about you know each other's shows and that sort of thing, I thought you were going to be a physician because your show is about <laughs> uh, you know your your freedom formula for physicians, right? So tell us a little bit about your background. And, you know, how you started your show and I guess ultimately how you focused on on doctors. Yeah, so I'm from Southern California, originally grew up in Orange County and L.A. County and made my way up to Seattle for college. And about 10 years ago, made an acquisition that business acquisition that brought me from Washington all the way to Minnesota. So I keep on getting colder Ah, all the time. Yes, well, we know uh, (laughs) a thing or two about Minnesota and... uh, and the Vikings and everything like that on this show, we talk about it sometimes. They were heartbroken this year, I'll tell you. You know, yeah, it was yeah. a lot of heartbroken people here, which I suppose you're you're used to, right? Growing up here in Minnesota, you know, it's not an unusual thing. Well, for better or for worse, you know, I was born in I think I was born in 1973. At the last time the Vikings were in the Super Bowl, I think it was 19 I want to say 1977, and I'm I think I started watching uh, football the next year. And I was about four years old, four or five years old. So I never actually got the heartbreak of a, a Viking Super Bowl loss, but there was four of them. And um, and uh, we haven't been back since my memory uh, has been clear. So hopefully that'll change sometime in the future. Yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm a basketball guy. The Lakers are my team growing up in Southern California. But um, the uh, the whole inspiration for me starting the the podcast and kind of my focus on doctors and giving back to the community really stems from my personal experiences. You see, what happened was my wife and I have two daughters. One is turning 13 shortly. The other is just turned six. And with the oldest, my wife had toxemia and preeclampsia, but it wasn't until postpartum that mm-hmm. that got diagnosed. So she had horrible seizures the yeah. first time around and uh, was yeah. not a lot of fun. <clears throat> so we took a break between kids and and wanted to get pregnant again. And it took a while. It was a hard, hard um, time to get pregnant. My wife finally gets pregnant. And, oh, my gosh. From the start of it, it was just not a lot of fun. It got to the point about, I would say, 15, 16, 17 weeks in gestation and my wife was starting to get horrible headaches and was getting blurred vision. And we were in and out of the hospital. No one could really tell us what was going on. I kept on telling them, mm-hmm. watch yeah. for toxemia. Yeah, yeah. And they couldn't clinically diagnose it. Um, mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of ins and outs. And she ended up getting admitted to the hospital at about 21 weeks in gestation or so. And um, then... As they were doing ultrasounds, they found out that the blood flow was starting to slow between uh, Mm -hmm. my wife and my little daughter. Sure. And we hit this point where we were talking to the neonatology fellow and the neonatologist, and they basically told us, you need to make a decision here. You can try and ride this thing out, but there's a good chance you might lose the baby. Or you can go ahead, this was at 23 weeks in gestation um, now, or you can go ahead and and try and take her out. And uh, being the numbers nerd that I am, I said, well, what's the chances? You know, what's the probability? Yeah, yeah. And they said, usually less than about 30%. Right. Right. So 
we're looking at each other and you're just lost in this moment. Right. Uh, and we decided to move forward with it. And, um, and she was diagnosed officially by that time with having toxemia, right. by the way. Right. So finally, which was apparently seven weeks earlier than clinically it should show up. Mm. Um, so I'm there in the operating room. They take this little tiny, tiny thing out. And she literally could fit in your hand at the time, one hand. And she takes a squawk. They run her over to, um, to the, the other side of the operating room. And they're trying to get a tiny, tiny breathing through tube down her throat. And I'm, I'm right there filming the whole thing, just praying and, and using my faith to, to um, make it through this moment. And, and lo and behold, they got that breathing tube down her throat. And she was 12.4 ounces. Wow. She was less than a pound when she came in this world. And she made it. We were in the NICU for about five months afterwards, four and a half months. And so I spent a lot of time in the hospital, got to really know a lot of doctors and nurses and fellows and residents. And you know what? I said I really wanted to give back. And mm -hmm. so that's been my mission uh, of writing the books and having the podcast, which, as you know, you know these things – for many of us, don't really monetize all yeah, that well. So yeah. I've I've been at it four years plus, and it's been a great journey meeting all kinds of great people like yourself on this mission to help doctors slash their debt, slash their taxes, and live a little bit lifestyle. What? Tell me the name of the books because I um, for some reason I didn't know about that. Yeah. So there's um, <clears throat> the Freedom Formula for Physicians is. Mm -hmm what I call my first big book. I have another one called the tax reduction prescription. Uh -huh. And then the latest one is the young physician's guide to money and life. So that's my latest book Got that it. just came out uh, about a month and a half ago. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the freedom formula, right? I mean, so in your view, what is the freedom formula? Where do you start? How do you get this thing? And what is freedom anyway? Right. Uh, well, definitely you, you address this a lot in your podcast. And I think for there's a lot of different formulas and we really um, cover this quite a bit in the podcast. And there's really kind of two schools of thought, which is you go with piles of cash or you go with streams of income. And so I have guests on that talk about each of those. And I kind of lie somewhere in the middle, to tell you the truth. You know, mm -hmm. I like doing developing piles of cash, but I love having rivers of income. And I know many people starting out, you know, probably piles of cash is the right way to go, in my opinion. But as you grow in wealth and assets, doing some of the kinds of things that you talk about here on the show quite a bit, I think is a great way to diversify and really not just be financially free, but to pass on generational wealth. Right. So, right. you know, piles of cash is a great way to retire. Um, but by itself, for most of us, you know, it's not going to be enough to really generate <clears throat> substantial wealth that we can pass on to our kids and make a difference in this world with. So piles of cash, you would think are the, you would say are the, the end point? It could be. What you if know, you outlive some... the pile of cash? <laughs> what do you do with it, right? You, you yeah. do like Scrooge I mean, McDuck. Well, well listen, you know, uh, I, 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 give a, I kept getting these things on Facebook for Elysium, you know, this basis. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's basically NAD plus and there's an MIT um, and there's an MIT big time MIT researcher behind it. He skipped he skipped the uh, 
the whole food and drug thing and, you know, so they could get it out. Now a bunch of doctors are taking this stuff and we all think it's going to make us live longer. Mm. So I say that just because I'm like, well, fundamentally, my 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 issue with that paradigm uh, is is the idea of of trying to figure out exactly how much you're going to need in order not to outlive it. I mean, Mass Mutual did a study some years ago, and that study showed that people who are baby boomers right now are more afraid of outliving them, their money than they are of death. And that's for good reason. So I, that's that's kind of what I, I, I wonder about. And and believe me, I'm not just a cash flow guy. And people who listen to this show know this, is I, I'm all about, you know, creating wealth um, with velocity and with, with mass and with leverage. But, you know, ending up with a finite and a finite amount of money and hoping to live you know, I think uh, White Coat Investors talks about 4% per year and living below your means because you don't need that much money anymore. I think it's a bunch of BS. And um, so so my my concern about that model is, okay, well, people are living longer. Inflation is going up. What are you going to do with a pile of money, you know, that, that aren't you just kind of hoping to die before you, you finish it? I mean, how, how do you respond to that? I'm curious. Well, I think that if you look at many, many different situations. I think that there's there's validity in both the piles of cash and rivers of income. So let me talk about, about why I think it's still a good idea for some people. I think number one, and I'm not going to get into all the details of sure. the different kinds of investment vehicles, but basically, I mean, there's plenty of people that have done that just fine. And really what it comes down to is living within your means, right? You know, there's there's people that have a spending addiction. Mm. People that have spending problems are going to have a very difficult time saving for either of those methods. And so if if your living expenses are, let's say, $50,000 a year, right, you know, you need a much less pile of cash to sustain yourself than someone that has $100,000 living expenses per year. So... That's that's I think the and and reality is the kind of assets you can invest into in pile of cash they're not going to be going away anytime soon you know those kind of things have been existing for a hundred plus years um, and really most investments come down to either owning something or someone owing you money right you know it's it's the the equity or the debt side of the equation and some people do a mix of the two so. You know, some people can make the argument that um, different kinds of assets are going to be going down um, over the next 10 years or whatever. I tend to believe and be more optimistic that I think things will work out over time and that people could be just fine pursuing that uh, because things are going to change. You know, if you look at the different way things are constructed, uh, what what were in those kinds of investments a hundred years ago is totally different than the way it is today. So as the economy moves and changes, those kinds of investments will move and change too. Mm-hmm. They're not just going to be static. Right. They will move with time. So um, let's talk about that whole living within your means thing. Because um, again, I hear this argument too is like, you know, um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to put money away 
And then, you know, basically, you know, we won't need as much money to live on later. Do you feel like that's a good way to live? <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think you know, so. I, I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I, to me, that is like one of my pet peeves because I hear people say that all the time, which is like, you know, you're, they're putting money away into the IRA because the idea is that you're going to be in a lower tax bracket someday when you're, when you're, you know, when you're, when your kids are out of the house and you're retired. Well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be poor. I don't, I don't want to make like a quarter of what I do uh, and, 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 and live on that when I'm retired. Is that really fundamentally? I mean, and I know again, the white coat investor has got an entire, you know, show on this, which honestly gives me palpitations when I hear it. Um, well, but I mean, is that what, people, but is that what you're some, talking about? For, is that what you're for talking some people, about? For some people that works great. Right. I mean, we can't how do you, deny. How do you that, know? How do you know like, that past performance does not dictate future uh, results? Right. Well, that's true. So, that's so true you're saying that. Well, that's that's, that, true that's very true. But what you're doing is you're throwing things totally to the wind here. Right. You're saying just because things worked 100 years ago, even though I don't exactly know how much money I need, even though I don't exactly know which way these equity markets work or even what the equity markets really are, why why something can have a P.E. ratio of 200 uh, even despite that, you should you should just trust in it rather than necessarily saying, hey, I want to invest in something I understand, something well, that I, think- I own that's tangible that people are going to need to live in or people are going to, you know, that that is going to that is going to be something that I can have that's tangibly wealth uh, as opposed to a piece of paper. So that that's I guess that's my um that's my that's my question. It's really an issue of control for me, right? Because when you have when you're just investing in in the markets and you're doing all this, you know, uh, you know, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and you start saying seven percent in this bucket and that percent in this bucket and all that, where the heck are these buckets coming from? Where what's that track record? And and ultimately, aren't we just trying to like? you know, make up these things to make, make ourselves feel better and about predicting the future? Well, I think that's true of everything too, including real assets, right? No, I disagree. I, mean, I disagree. I can tell you exactly right now that if I want to right now, I can retire today, right? Well, here's, here's, Why? here's because the I have fal- over a million dollars in passive income. Here's the fallacy in both is that many people make the assumption, whether we're talking real assets or paper assets, that, what the value is today is going to be the same five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, because we know that assets get overheated, right? And sure. I say financial freedom is really defined at the bottom of the cycle. If you still have financial freedom in a recession where your assets and the income you're generating from your assets or the amount you're taking out of your assets is sustainable, now you have true financial freedom. If you're measuring yourself at the top, whether you're talking real assets like real estate or paper assets, that is a fallacious argument for me because more than likely things can go down, right? You know, you can lose tenants in a bad economy. Rents can go down. Um, Different kinds of assets that you're relying on. And so I wouldn't say, I wouldn't argue that you shouldn't be smart about your investments. But I think the point is that what I'm saying is that there are those kinds of risks that are asset specific and then there and, and those are localized risks to to some degree you just didn't plan it very well 
And then there's this entire risk of a bank failure that collapses all the equity markets. And you've got no income coming out of there to begin with. And the only thing that you can do is liquidate. Well, that's, reality is that's true in both worlds. Well, because if you if you look at the 08 crash, you know, which I know is when you started getting more into alternatives, you had you had so many alternative assets that went bankrupt because they were over leveraged, right? Real assets, people lost their shirt on those things as well as in other places. So, I don't buy that argument that real assets are always better. It's just a different kind of asset well, class. But I again, I want to be clear uh, I think our our what we're talking about is very different. When I'm buying real assets, I'm making sure that I've got you know a, a significant spread in income. So generally speaking, if if I do lose tenants and I don't buy single family homes specifically because I don't want a zero versus one hundred percent occupancy situation, but the real question ends up being, you know, do I have enough income to survive, uh, you know, survive this downturn? And I'll tell you. That even though that I didn't have money in 2008, my dad's been a real estate investor for 50 years. He's been a cash flow investor. In 2008, he increased his monthly income by 50 to 60 thousand dollars per month because there were people who didn't buy smart. When we talk about investing, we're talking about investing. We're not talking about you know yeah, flipping homes. That's not what we're talking about. And a lot of people, I think, on the um, you know, on the traditional side of things, think about us investors as out there flipping and stuff. No, we're investing. We're buying things that throw off income. And in worst case scenario, maybe they don't throw off as much income, but we can hold on to them. And eventually they will start throwing income off again. So that's, I mean, listen, it's at the end of the day, it's, I think, you know, it's one of those things that we can certainly, you know, agree to disagree on, but. Um, well, like, like I said, I believe doing in both, right? Yeah. You know, so I, I'm saying don't rely on, one strategy um, too much, you know, diversify yourself. And as, as you know, from myself, for me, I choose to invest more in businesses. Mm -hmm. So that's more my strategy personally on the rivers of income side, because of what you mentioned before of the control, you know, for me personally, I don't like the idea of pooling my money with other investors and then giving control of my money to someone else. I would rather have control over what I do. Not that it might always work out. Sometimes it won't, but at least I you have mean, control. You mean your own businesses it. or you're investing in other people's businesses or what do you mean by that? I invest in my own businesses. Right. I don't invest in other people's businesses. Right. right. Well, I, I was going to say investing in other people's businesses is pretty challenging to do. And that's something that I have not been able to. And, and believe me, I invest in my own businesses as well. I mean, I have, you know, I have a, several businesses, but, um, you know, at some point you have to, uh, you know, figure out where you're going to get the slow burn. And for me, that certainly my belief in that is, is for the most part in real estate. But um, let's talk a little bit about um, the economy right now. What, uh, how do you think, how do you think things are going? Where is this going to end up? Well, listen, I mean, I, I don't know, right? None yeah. of us do. Let's be real. Yeah. I don't know. You don't know. Um, but from my study of it, best, best I can see, I think for the foreseeable future of the next six months, everything should be okay. But listen, there can always be shocks to the system. This whole tariff thing uh, could come falling down on us as they get into a trade war. You know, none of us want that, but that would be bad. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's the whole North Korea thing and who, who the heck knows what's going to happen there. But listen, you can't plan your life based on fear. 
mm-hmm. you know, yeah. if, if you want to get anywhere in this world, you have to take risks, regardless of what the geopolitical or economic situation is. Now, I'll say that I think now is a great time to accumulate some cash because we know we're longer in the economic cycle in general. We're not at the bottom, right? I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at some point, it's going to happen again. Is that six months, one year, two years, three years? I have no clue. But you know, if you look at the famous investors, whether it's, it's Warren Buffett or um, different people that did well in the last recession, it was because they had cash to deploy and buy stuff at a fat discount. Right. So I think you have to be ready to have cash on the sidelines uh, for when this next time comes. And more than likely, we're probably in the seventh or eighth inning. Um, I I would think this might go on another year. Obviously, the tax cuts give some economic juice in the short term, which we'll probably see more of around tax time next year, Um, particularly for those of us that own businesses. You know, we're going to have a 20%, many of us, 20% extra in our bank from the business with some of those things that are going on. I don't on. think the doctors so, get that one. What's that? I don't think the doctors get that one, do they? Uh, under a certain income, they do. Oh. So it, it depends I on how it, much you're I thought you're it making. depended on the, on the practice uh, or the type of business and that medicine counted as a service business so it didn't get that. Service businesses under $300,000 yeah, income okay. are still eligible. Okay, got it. Got if, it. You're, if you're over 300K or so, I'd have to look at the exact numbers, but it's somewhere around there. Got it. That Then you start phasing out. I think it's 400K when the phase out stops. Again, I'm just talking off the top of my head. Yeah, I no, I, know th- I knew there was a second. phase out, but I thought there were some businesses that were completely ruled out of that and that medicine was one of them, but I could, you know, I totally could be wrong. I, but um, uh, For my study of it, no, they weren't yeah. completely phased out. They just have a lower threshold than other kinds of businesses. Got it. So talk about that tax bill a little bit. What do you think, uh, you know, how does how does that change anything or everything in terms of, you know, the economy, in terms of, you know, the way you should invest right now, et cetera? Well, certainly I'd say there's there's geographical arbitrage. If you live in Texas, Washington State, states that, uh, Florida, states that have no state income tax, you are doing great. Right. You have a huge advantage in this because um, you have those um, itemized deductions. Now you are capped at $10,000 of state income taxes and property taxes uh, within that tax bill. So if you're making, like most of us listening to the show, three hundred grand, you're going to get capped out mm-hmm. if you live in a state with state income taxes. Uh, if you have kids, uh, you're probably going to do fairly well with the tax bill. So the worst scenario is probably someone that's single, um, that lives in like New York or Minnesota or one of our states, Hawaii, that has a very high income tax bill. You might actually pay a little bit more in taxes. Um, In the podcast, I actually went through seven different episodes where I went through about 10 different scenarios of um, who wins and who loses from the tax bill. So in terms of investing, business owners make out the best. Uh, People that own real estate, um, do pretty well with the tax bill. Uh, if you run a hedge fund, you're still doing pretty well with the tax bill because they didn't get rid of the, the, um, the, uh, can't remember the name of the exact term, but carry the carry tax where you get taxed at a capital gains rather than at at your ordinary income. Right. Right. So, right. So, um, so in terms of the, uh, so what kinds of tips do you have in terms of potential deductions, uh, 
you know, because I know you do some tax work too. Do you have any any uh, any pearls for us in there? Well, I think S corporations are a huge win still because you could be subject to the 20% um, type rule. One of the things that I think people should think about, like here I have a land flipping business and I have a service-based business. I actually might be better off separating those two. Currently, they're all combined in one. Mm -hmm. But as we get on later in this year, I'm going to be looking at separating the two because I'm going to have more tax advantages in, in the um, in the land flipping business over the uh, service-based businesses because of some of the things we were just talking about earlier where service-based businesses have a cap essentially on them. So if you have multiple streams of income, multiple businesses, you really want to take a, take, a, take a strong look at maybe separating some of those businesses out. Yeah, yeah. There's also, uh, we re recently had a... Uh we recently had somebody on the show uh, who was giving some tips about even with the uh, deductions in terms of charitable um, deductions, uh, being able to create some kind of a trust uh, and contribute more to that. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? Well, those things haven't changed in yeah. terms of charitable deductions because you can still itemize uh, if you have enough of them. So right. the same strategies for charitable stuff is the same last year as it is this year, mm -hmm. as far as I know. So people can create foundations and they can do all kinds of creative things in terms of putting appreciated assets and right. in uh, different kinds of vehicles to get a tax deduction today and, and uh, avoid having to pay those taxes personally. Yeah. So those things are just as valid you know, yesterday as they are today. I'd like to just point out there's uh, the, my, uh, my, my CPA, Tom Wilwright, uh, has got a podcast called Wealth Ability. He's talked a little bit about which is an interesting one, and he's um, he's got some interesting takes on the tax bill as well. So that's another resource uh, to check out there. So you mentioned land, right? So mm -hmm. we recently had uh, Mark Podolsky on the show. Was this was the land uh, was the land trading? Is this something you learned from Mark or what? Yeah. So my um, little bit of my background, my my family. Never had anyone that was crazy super wealthy, um, but because most of the people in my family were blue collar, mm -hmm. um, my folks um, did quite a bit of rental real estate. And so, in addition to the piles of cash, they they made money through through rentals as well. So yeah. I'm kind of following uh, what what they did, and they're millionaires, mm -hmm. um, not multi 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 millionaires, but they've done pretty darn well for themselves, um, and. I had actually helped to manage one of their properties when I was in college. And the guy was in the Navy and he was in and out. He was serving during the Gulf War. And I, I got so frustrated with trying to collect rent. It really turned me off from the whole idea of rental real estate. Mm -hmm. I said, I, I don't want to go through that again. That was such a pain and not worth my time and effort to do it. And so uh, as I've been going on in my journey here, I really got into experimenting and trying different things. And on the podcast, I feature different guests with different ideas, much like you do. Mm -hmm. And Mark got on the podcast. He was one of the his people had reached out to me to get him on the show. And um, I really liked the idea. This was over a year ago. Yeah. And so I was intrigued by it. I sat on it for about three months. And uh, I kept on on. He, he gives these juicy numbers, right? Of like 300% yeah. to 600% rates of return. And like you're salivating at, you know, what if I could do that? 
And so it sounded too good to be true, which we know often when something sounds too good to be true, it often is, right? right. And so I went and did some due diligence and started just testing doing some of the stuff that, that he said to do. And I was able to do it, which was yeah. the first step of the land business is getting lists from counties. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of got that done. And as a matter of fact, I had so freaking many of these lists, I got paralysis by analysis. And uh, I had invested in his course. And his course is really good. There's lots of great information. Uh, Mark is kind of a um, take action, revise later, kind of ready, ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And he says this as much on his podcast and all his materials. Uh, so he, he readily admits that. So uh, it wasn't, there was tons and tons and tons and tons of great information in there, but it probably isn't organized the best, mm -hmm. um, to be fair. Um, and now, which one did you so, do? Did you do the, the, <clears throat> did you do the, I think there's like three levels of them, right? There's, um, did you do the one where, uh, I think he just gives you a little bit of a information and then there's one that's flight school and then, then there's yes. the high level one. Wh which one did you do? So I'm cheap, right? You know, I don't want to yeah. go spending tons of money. I'm into taking risk with little bits of money yeah. and seeing if that works. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, um, biblically, you know, you, you give, give, uh, give a man a talent. Can he turn it into two? You know, yeah. some guy goes and hides it. Uh, you don't want to invest more. So I very much believe in giving a little bit at a time and seeing if it can multiply. Mm -hmm. um, so you so went with the cheap one. I went with the then, cheap one. And, but it worked. But, but, you, but you started making some money. Uh, well, I didn't start making money yet. I just did some of the research just to see uh -huh. could I even get past the initial step. Yeah. And so I did. But I got paralysis by analysis. So then I went. He has, um, when you invest in the toolkit, you can go to the, uh, the boot camp which is a live event and it doesn't cost you anything to do there because you already paid a thousand bucks or 1200 bucks or whatever yeah, it is yeah. for his, his toolkit. And so I went there with my wife and, um, you know, you got to get the wife's approval on these kinds of things. So mm -hmm. she, she bought into it. We were going to do it together, but she just didn't have the heart for it. So, um, after I went to the boot camp, that really gave me the extra momentum and knowledge, which I think the boot camp is really uh, more valuable than the toolkit itself, which you get two free tickets to go down to the, yeah. the boot camp. So I actually um, think the combination of those two is really awesome, and I'm glad Mark makes that available. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I you, highly but, recommend but, if but you get the toolkit, you got to go to the boot camp because that helps to fill in a lot yeah. of the gap. But so you've been doing this for about six months, and you're making money though, right? I am, yeah. So um, I ended up trying it on my own, and I got some deals done. Um, so I started mailing in November, December, I bought three different pieces of property and, uh, I bought them for like 2000 bucks and I flipped them around for about three K. So I made a thousand bucks to start out with, which was great. Uh, it wasn't the 600% type return or the 300% type return. Even I sold them wholesale, right. um, just to kind of make a quick <clears> transaction. <throat> and now here we are, that was in January when I sold my first few. And then I, I went on a spree a buying spree. And now I've bought 40 different properties. I've sold 37 of them. Uh, of, of the 37, about 20 are on monthly payments. And that's how you get those juiced up 600% type returns where people pay you monthly right. over six, seven, eight years. And um, of course, there's a high chance of default with that because you're lending to people that can't get a credit card. So, you know, you're charging them 10, 11, 12, 13 sure. percent interest sure. on uh, on the micro lending, and you own the collateral. Um, so, 
um, you can always foreclose. You've never deeded over the property to them. And then I've done some cash flips, wholesaling or selling just cash to retail yeah, buyers. Yeah. So altogether, if if uh, everything turns out, I've invested at this point about sixty grand into land now over those thirty-seven properties, and I expect to get back about two hundred and thirty k altogether. Wow! So, and over what period of time? It, it's just dependent. Some of those yeah. were immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those uh, are going to be paying over one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. So some are much longer, yeah. some are much <clears throat> shorter. It just depends on the property. Probably my best one was about a thousand percent rate of return so yeah. far. If you get it over time, you know, generally the goal when you're doing note financing is you want to break even in a year. And then the other two, three, four, five, six years are all pure profit without you having to do jack squat, except collect, collect the payment yeah, after that yeah. time. Not bad. That's uh, that's good. Uh, it's funny that you know we just. It, it's funny different people have such different philosophies about stuff. Because um, even just hearing you say, you know, you you took the the toolkit because you're cheap and and all that. I'm totally the opposite, and I'll just tell you, it's just I think it's one of these like you know approach uh, things where I, I I'll typically go to the one where they're gonna hold my hand and. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn it as quickly as possible because I don't want to sit there and, you know, try to figure things out for myself because I'm of the mindset that, you know, it, it takes, you you, you know, it takes mistakes to learn things, right? It does. It, it does, but they don't have to be your mistakes. And so, so I'm willing to pay for other people's mistakes. <laughs> and so that works, but, but you know what, that works for me. So it's just interesting that you said that, but, um, my uh, uh, philosophically, there's, you know, I guess there's just a um, it's a difference, but it, you know, it seems to work either way. But well, it's, it's really just about a time thing, right? So, I like to compress time, right? That's for you know, me. It's it's like like when I value my time, I'm just, you know, I'm just I don't want to sit there and try to figure things out. I want somebody who already has done it, has already had success. Tell me exactly what they know and how they did it. And if, if I have questions, I want to get them answered immediately. And that's kind of the way I approach those kinds of things. And as a result, I'm ending, you know, I end up sp- spending like, you know, six figures a year on courses or masterminds, et cetera. Right. But, but for me, it's an investment. It's not a cost, you know, it's totally an investment. So. Well, I think, I think there's definitely something, something to that and different strokes for different folks yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think the, um, the major issue I have is that you end up wasting a lot of money and I hate waste. So, you know, I'm the kind of guy that I eat leftovers and, uh, my wife hates leftovers, you know, she'll leave stuff in a bag. I'm like, we got to use that up. So but, I'm just, but, that's is, just but, kind of but, my, but aren't you wasting money if you're wasting time and if you're wasting and if you're doing things wrong, um, and you didn't have to, cause that's the well, way I look at it. Right. Is I, I look at it as, you know, I'm going into a dark cave. I want to bring somebody with me who's been there before. You know, and and that and I'll pay him to be there, so I don't have to discover stuff for well, the I think, first time. Well, I think yes, yes, and no, because you still have to discover stuff yourself, right? You know, as because they're not going to be with you 24/7. So, you know, you, you look at some of those programs. I mean, there there is a learning curve with mm-hmm. this business as well as many other businesses. Mm-hmm. And there's not as much as they can guide you. They can help you to a degree, but you still got to learn on your own. Sure. So, and, and luckily today, you know, I mean, we're blessed with so much free material. Mark has his own podcast. 
where he talks about stuff. There's other podcasts like Seth Williams and another another couple, Jack and Jill, that talk about this stuff. So I just fill myself with knowledge yeah. from all these people that I don't have to pay a single cent for. Yeah. And then as I get value, I pay money for it. So yeah. Um, I'm learning from other people's mistakes. I'm just not having to pay yeah. tens of thousands. Well, but then there's, dollars. but there's a, but, but in, in bringing that information together, there is a time value. And that, I think for me, that's fundamentally, and again, I'm not saying anything's right or wrong. It's just interesting how different people think about it differently. I'm always, Absolutely. I'm always stepping up to the plate saying, okay, give it to me on a silver platter. Okay. Otherwise <laughs> I don't want it. Um, and it's worked for me, you know, it's worked for me. So um, anyway, listen, it was good having you on a little spirited conversation here. A few differences in opinion are good for the show for sure. And, uh, and, and tell us again where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at drfreedompodcast.com, which you have links to my books. Um, my latest book, I actually haven't put up on the website yet, but you can find it at drfreedompodcast.com slash doc book. So that's the latest one. And I hope to be doing more um, books. My next one I kind of want to do on thinking outside the box, um, talking about this land investing journey, the mobile gaming kit uh, business that I purchased, the $1 million acquisition I made 10 years ago that brought me to Minnesota. So I'm planning on doing more stuff, more materials, and would love to have people join me on the journey. Cool. That sounds great. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Dave. Thank you, Buck. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. As you can probably tell, Dave uh, and I have some philosophical differences, some differences in how we see money, et cetera. But it's good to hear different perspectives, right? I mean, listen, you know, if you don't hear uh, the way different you know, people think, then you can't make any decisions. Um, you know, you have nothing to think about. It's sort of like I remember, I remember the kids who uh, back in high school who wanted to go to, you know, who were out there being... Um, you know, social activists, et cetera. And, um, you know, I wasn't real political either way, but, you know, I certainly sympathized with those, those kinds of, uh, social causes and stuff. But those people ended up going to very, very liberal colleges. And I always wondered, well, gosh, wouldn't it make more sense if you went to a really, really conservative college, because then you might actually change somebody's mind. Well, Anyway, it's good to hear uh, people who have different thoughts than me so you can make some decisions on your own. Now, one thing you might have found interesting in, uh, in this interview was uh, his comment about flipping uh, and, and cash flowing with land. And, uh, and he sounds like he's actually doing pretty well with that, and that's not the first time I've heard that. As you may know, I had the master of that, Mark Podolsky, on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, and and um, and at the time, I have to tell you, I was a little, um, uh, you know, I was a little skeptical, and uh, I didn't, I didn't really knew, know if I really believed uh, that all this was possible. Um, but you know, uh, Dave is now the second person I've talked to uh, that has done really well with Mark's program. Now, do me a favor, by the way, if you decide you want to check that out. Go to wealthformula.com and use that affiliate link. It won't cost you anything, but at least it'll, Mark will give me like 10 bucks if somebody signs up. And, uh, you know, I'm not Dave Ramsey, so I don't have millions of dollars yet. So, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, use the affiliate link, though, if I introduce you. Just uh, that, that'll be a nice gesture for the show. Now, 
again, uh, go to wealthformula.com. Check out uh, that link for the land geek himself, Mark Podolsky. Um, I, again, I wasn't really willing to put it up there until I heard good things, so I'm comfortable doing that now. Uh, anyway, that's it for me this week uh, on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.